Hey there, listeners. My name is Emily, and you are tuning in to E Pluribus Unum. Welcome so much for being here. A little bit later, we are going to get into abortion. But just before that, I want to comment on a meme I saw on Instagram, because as we all know, Instagram is the location for all of the most intellectual discussions on a variety of topics, from politics to religion to personal relationships. This one was about politics, and the meme was of a girl saying that saying socialism doesn't work in other countries and it won't work here is like saying a souffle didn't work in one oven and not trying it in another oven. The point, of course, being that saying socialism hasn't worked other places isn't a good enough reason for not trying it again. And then people argue that, like Albert Einstein said, or at least the thought is attributed to him, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. So trying to so- trying socialism again, even though it has been tried multiple times and failed every time, is a definition of insanity. But I have a slightly different take on this. Because the truth is, you can look at the argument, I think, either way. You could look at socialism and say, sure, it hasn't worked these other places, but it hadn't been done properly. Though in that case, you have to refer to my earlier comment, which is, if we think that it's finally going to work in the United States and not other places, that is like the most America great chauvinistic thing to say, that we can do it better, but no one else could. But that's besides the point. I don't think the people who are saying that think that, even though that is what it implies. Or you could look at it and and say, it has been tried so many times and it hasn't worked. Maybe this is not the path to go down. But of course, there's a third option, which is maybe we shouldn't try socialism at all. And I think that's really where the issue is. People argue whether or not it's worked, but really the question is, should it work? Is it something we should be trying? Is it moral? Is it ethical? Is it godly? I know I brought in God. There's religion here, folks. And by the way, are we sure that socialism hasn't worked in these other places? I know it seems like it hasn't worked because millions of people have died from mass starvation or forced enslavement and all sorts of things. But are we sure that's not what the people wanted? I mean, I know they say that they want, you know, workers united and everyone equal, but I don't know. I I think actually socialism worked for the people at the top. The problem is socialism doesn't work for everyone. It works for a very limited number of people. And then those people doesn't always work for, right? Like if anyone's seen the death of Stalin, it's actually a really funny movie and I highly recommend it, but it shows some of the inner workings of the politics there. And we know that like when the parties change, there's all these, all this political infighting and changing of history. And we know that Trotsky was at first at the charge, but then with Lenin and who was written well in the history books can change even within the party because it's all just about power. So saying socialism didn't work is kind of an interesting thing because it implies that it can work, that it can work in a way which is good for everyone. But I don't think, I just don't think socialism is worth trying. No private property. You know, people think of private property as big mansions. What about clothing? Does clothing count as private property because I sure as heck don't want, I would, I like that my underwear is private. I like that all my clothes are private actually. And I can just go into my closet and I don't have to share with other people. I mean, how far does the lack of private, pro- private property extend? 
And of course, socialism has never been kind to religion, so I'm not really on board with that. And just the idea that the government is going to make a better decision about what job I should have or what school my children should go to or really anything about my life other than national defense is worrying. So has socialism worked before? Kind of, not really. Should we try it again? Nope, let's move on. Capitalism, republicanism, democracy, these seem to be things that are working. Let's uh, let's keep going down that track, shall we? All right, so I teased it right at the beginning. I said today we would talk about abortion. Now, I have talked about abortion on this show before, but I'm coming back to it because I have some new thoughts about it, or at least some new insight, and also it's on people's minds right now because the Supreme Court just last week started hearing arguments uh, for Dobbs v. Jackson's women's health, which centers on a Mississippi law that would ban almost all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And earlier this year, you might remember that Texas passed a law that there were no abortions allowed after six weeks of pregnancy. That probably would have stayed big news, except there's so many other things going on since then, like that new Omicron variant. Have you heard about that? Oh my goodness, you might get the sniffles. Break out the Kleenex. People are, as usual with abortion, on one of two sides. They're either ecstatic, specifically by this Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health, because there's this idea that it might, that it could overturn Roe, that it would undo what Roe did in 1973. And of course, the other side is very upset that if Roe is overturned, that women will die and it will be setting women back to 1593 and we'll all be living in The Handmaid's Tale. I have to say that I don't truly understand abortion as an animating topic. I understand why people have opinions on it and even why it might alter someone's decision to vote for a candidate, but that people are so into it as opposed to other topics, interests me. But I think it's because abortion to me is so plainly wrong and gross that it's odd to me that people really want to fight for the right for it. Generally speaking, I think abortion is killing. Whether or not it's murder, I think, is a different, a slightly different discussion because murder and killing are slightly different things, right? Like the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not murder, not thou shalt not kill, because there are instances in which one can kill, right, in war and self-defense. And murder has a legal definition to it as well, right? Which is why Kyle Rittenhouse killed two people, but he wasn't found guilty of murder. They, they are different distinct. There are distinctions between the words murder and kill. So for now, let's stick with abortion is killing, and it very may possibly be murder as well. Though in the Torah, it's not quite as strict as it seems to be in the New Testament in terms of that, which of course doesn't mean that the Old Testament says, go get abortions, women. It just means that it doesn't view it as murder in quite the same way as it views other murders. But I am getting off track a little bit. Basically, not a fan of abortion. However, in terms of legislation, I'm a little bit more flexible because we do live in a society where people, for some reason, think that it's a right and something that is important 
for women in certain situations to have access to. And while I think we probably shouldn't allow abortions at all, I don't know if that kind of legislation could ever get passed. So I think I, I think I could vote for a candidate. Let's put it this way. I could vote for a candidate who was against abortion and was going to fight really hard to make sure that there were no abortions after 10 weeks. Like if that was their stance, they said, I'm personally against abortion and I'm going to fight very hard for there to be a very reasonable limit. I could get behind that as opposed to someone obviously who was just totally for abortion, which I couldn't support. So that is my general stance on abortion. It's wrong. It's gross. I can understand why there are some legislative flexibilities with it. But my perspective has broadened, let's say. So the reason for that is I am pregnant. Yes, thank you. It's very exciting. No, we don't know what sex the baby is. Yes, it will be either a boy or a girl. It's not going to be able to choose anything other than that. And for those of you who have never been pregnant but might someday become pregnant, just so you know, morning sickness is not necessarily limited to just the morning hours. And also, everyone might tell you, oh, it'll just go away by the second trimester. That depends upon the person because some of us, hello, are in our second trimester and the nausea has not gone away. So something to look forward to. I found out I was pregnant just before my sixth week. We were trying for this outcome. But I didn't know until I was about five weeks in. So now in Texas, the law is you can't get an abortion after six weeks. Well, I didn't even know until right before that. So I can see why six weeks, even though six weeks is when you can first hear the heartbeat, and that seems a reasonable cutoff time, right? Because if something has a heartbeat, that's an indication of life. Not to mention the fact that I do believe that once a sperm and egg meet each other and get to business, I mean, that's the beginning of life. But if you had to pick a cutoff and they pick heartbeat, I can see why that's a reasonable place to start or stop. But six weeks could be really early. Now, again, we were trying, so I was kind of keeping an eye out for it. But even I didn't realize that the nausea that was hitting me every day was morning sickness. I just thought I was nauseous. I was worried it was some sort of weird COVID symptom. And imagine someone who is not trying, right? They really might not be aware that their symptoms are pregnancy-related. And not every woman has the same symptoms. You could very easily float past your sixth week without noticing. And yes, you could be late on your period too, so that would be another indication. But women could be late on their periods or miss a month's period for a variety of reasons, from stress, from different medication. So if, if a woman isn't in the business, isn't trying to have a baby, six weeks could be really early. And if an abortion would be the best case scenario for that woman and that baby, I should say for that woman, I don't think abortion is the best case scenario for any baby, but if it's the best case scenario for that woman, you know, it's a young woman, unmarried, not prepared to take care of a baby, I could see six weeks being really early. On the other hand, well, on the other hand is the fact that it's a baby and no matter how much it might ruin one's life as an adult, we as adults have choices, you know, whether or not to use protection, whether or not to 
have sex, whether or not to keep the baby, right? I'm, or let it go for adoption. There are plenty of people willing to adopt babies. And really, who are we to say which baby is worth bringing into this world? But six weeks could be early. My other insight into the abortion debacle, debate, but it is a debacle, is, well, it happened when I had my first ultrasound. So I'll be honest, I found out I got pregnant, like I said, around five, five and a half, six weeks. And I had my first appointment at around 10 or 12 weeks. So I was nauseous for about a month, every day, like clockwork, I would wake up, feel fine for about two hours, and then it would hit. And the rest of the day, I would just be nauseous and food smells, even the thought of food, even right now as I'm talking about it, I can feel myself wanting to gag. Very, very unpleasant. And other than the nausea, I didn't have any other symptoms. I mean, you're, it's not like you have a baby bump right away, right? It, it grows. You can't feel the baby. You can't see it. You can't hear it. So my only connection to this baby was the fact that I was nauseous. So we weren't on the best terms. I tried to get upset at the pregnancy, not at the baby, but I wasn't doing a very good job of that sometimes. But the point is I didn't have, I, I didn't have an instant connection to the baby. I mean, I know the baby wasn't born yet, but I, I hadn't quite wrapped my head around the fact, I guess, that I was pregnant. And then I went in for my first ultrasound and the doctor showed the tiny little, what did she call it? Peanut. Because it was so small at the time, right? It was like a centimeter long or two centimeters. It's a tiny, tiny little thing. So I got to see this thing inside my body, this human being forming. And it was, you know, it was the first time that it was made real to me that it was actually happening. And then I got to hear the heartbeat, which is super fast. It's interesting. Babies' heartbeats are much faster than our regular heartbeats are. And that is when it was made real to me that I was, that I'm pregnant, that there's a baby, that there is a life growing inside of me. And no matter where you fall in the abortion thing, you can't argue that what is growing is a life. Even if you think it's less of a life at two weeks than at 22 weeks, it still is some version of a life, right? I mean, the, the thing that it's going to be is a human, if allowed to go to its completeness. And actually, it's already a human, right? It's just a different form of a human. So I already, I previous to the ultrasound, I had had the thought about, wow, six weeks, that's really early. I could see that being really difficult for some women. And then I saw the ultrasound and I thought, man, but if every woman had to get an ultrasound or hear her baby's heartbeat before getting an abortion, I wonder what that would do. Well, sort of like they put, I mean, there's warning labels on literally everything. And sometimes the warning labels are the most ridiculous things, right? Like telling you not to consume things that have no relation to food whatsoever. And you would never think to consume until a warning label tells you not to consume it. And of course, smoking tells you all the things about lung cancer. And there's that California Prop 65 warning, which lets you know that substances in a certain building are known to the state of California to cause cancer. By the way, if it's only known to the state of California to cause cancer, either everyone should just leave California or California really needs to share that knowledge with other states. But there are warnings for everything. And yet, now I've never gone in to get an abortion, so I don't know exactly what happens. But it would seem to me 
At the very least, if someone was trying to propose some sort of legislation to curtail abortions, that it would be intelligent to include the requirement that every woman have an ultrasound if it's if it's late enough. I don't know if you can get an ultrasound at two weeks, but by whatever time you can have an ultrasound, ultrasound and hear the heartbeat if you're able to hear the heartbeat. First of all, because it's a medical procedure, right? An abortion, I mean, they're, they're going into your body or you're taking some sort of pill, right? There are different forms, but the point is it's some sort of medical procedure and you should know what's happening. Just like if you break your leg, I presume they show you an x-ray to show you where your leg is broken, right? They shouldn't just or if you have a tumor that they're removing, they're going to show you where that tumor is. I mean, you as a patient should have all of the knowledge to know when a doctor is going to do something to your body. But then specifically, because it is another life, and as much as we talk about it as being a woman's health issue, it's not. It's a baby's health issue, and we should at least take the baby into account as much as the mother. And who knows, maybe it wouldn't sway any people. In fact, maybe it would make it so much more real for some women that there was an actual baby that they were now going to have to take care of that it would persuade them even more to have an abortion. It seems unlikely that a feeling human being could see an ultrasound or hear a little heartbeat and want to continue with an abortion, but I suppose it could go either way. But at least then the women would have the full knowledge and and we could take the discussion back to what it is, which is an abortion is making a baby stop existing. It is killing a baby. It is murdering a baby. It is taking what is going to be a baby and not letting it become a baby, not letting it become a human. It is not about a woman's body. A woman's body is if she can't color her hair or if she can't get a tattoo. That is a woman's body. It happens to be that the baby grows in the woman's body, but we're just lucky that God gave us the ability to be the ones to carry and that men don't. It's a blessing and a privilege, but the, the baby is, is using our body. We are giving it space to rent for nine months, but it's not our body. It is a separate body going on inside of there. And by the way, we talk about it as a woman's issue because it's in a woman's body. But as far as I'm aware, it takes two to tango. And unless it's IVF, in which case, if you have gone through all of the money and time for IVF and then decided on an abortion... That's got to be a special case. But usually there is a man involved, and he should be just as much involved in the decision whether or not to have the baby. Because yes, it is the woman who has to deal with nine months of nausea, body changing, swelling, all of the various discomforts that I apparently have to look forward to in the coming months. Absolutely. But people don't usually argue abortion from that perspective. They usually argue abortion from once the baby's born perspective, that Maybe the woman is too poor to raise it or doesn't have the resources or isn't ready. Well, what if the man is? So the woman has to put up with nine months of discomfort and then the man can take the baby, right? For 18 years of school payments and first heartbreaks and boo-boos and all the other things. 18 years versus nine months, that's not really a bad deal for the woman. So this whole idea that it's a woman's issue, it, it's both. It's a it's a human issue. It's not even a men's and a woman's issue. It's just, it's a human issue. I suppose I haven't really changed my opinion on abortion all that much. It's just that I now have a different perspective because I'm now pregnant. And I don't think that a person has to be pregnant to have an opinion on it, just like I don't think you have to be a woman, right? I think men can and should have an opinion 
on the killing of an innocent life. But it was interesting to have these new thoughts in relation to it because it is something personal. And maybe the fact that I'm now emotional about it means that my opinion is less valid. Though I don't think emotion inherently makes someone's opinion less valid. It's just important that we are aware of how our emotions are affecting our opinion and whether we're completely emotion-based or reason-based or some mix of the two. I want to go back for one second. I do want to talk about the argument of, you know, women who are raped and abortion. Because if a man and a woman make the active choice to not have protected sex, whether or not he doesn't use a condom, she's not on some other form of birth control, they're not ready to have a child, whatever it is, and they have a baby, that's on them. You know what? You were irresponsible. You were old enough to know that that's what happens from sex. If you weren't ready for the consequences, you shouldn't have done it. Like other things, if you're not ready for the consequences, you shouldn't do it. That's just life. And sometimes, you know, you have to deal with consequences that you weren't expecting because, again, that is life and it's really not fair for us as people, as humans, as adults who were not aborted, who had parents that wanted us to be born. It's not really fair for us to not give that same opportunity to another baby, which is why, as my friend says, sex is not about an age, but a stage. So having sex isn't about how old you are. It's not like, all right, I'm 18, time to go, or man, I'm 30 and I'm still single, time to have sex. No, it's a stage. If you are in the stage and you are ready to have kids, which is ideally married, but at the very least in a loving, committed relationship, then have sex because you're ready for the consequences. But if you're not ready for the consequences, don't have sex. Sex is not like this be-all, end-all. Yeah, it's great. It's fun. It's enjoyable. But you know what? There are a lot of other great, enjoyable, fun things that don't result in the possibility of you bringing a life into the world that you're not prepared for. So engage in those. And when you're ready to have sex, have sex. And also, it's not like your life isn't meaningful if you don't have sex. I mean, we can look at nuns and priests, right, who make a celibacy, celibacy vow. But even if you don't go that far and it's just not in the cards for you, you can't have a fulfilled life by doing three million other things. And that's the one thing. TV shows and movies make sex out like like that's the goal. You know, you've reached a certain age. You're in college. You're on the prowl. It's really not that exciting. But yes, there are times, and I don't know what the numbers are. I have to imagine that advocates exaggerate them and pro-life people maybe underrepresent the numbers. So it's hard to know exactly, but certainly there are people who are raped and get pregnant. Of course that would happen, or whether they are adults or teens. And that's a very real issue, and that there is no easy answer for that. Because on the one hand, none of us, I don't think, can imagine what it would be like to have to give birth to a human which has half the DNA of a person who violated you in one of the worst ways possible. On the other hand, that baby, that life is innocent. And the fact that its father was a monster is not its fault and will not necessarily course through its DNA. So that is a real difficult subject. And I don't think there are easy answers for it. And I think it's okay that there aren't easy answers. We could say just no abortions, no matter what, or yes, all abortions, or yes, abortions in the case of rape, though, how do you prove that? And then do people come in and say, oh, I was raped and they weren't? 
seems like a weird thing to do, but I'm sure people would if they really desperately felt like they needed an abortion, which maybe argues for the fact that we need more education about raising children or about adoption or that having children is not a curse, but also about how to not be in the process of having a child if you're not ready to have a child. So that one's tough. I have an ever-fluid opinion on that one. I go back and forth between what feels really kind, which is to allow people who are in that situation to have abortions, to what feels like my logical brain taking over, saying, unfortunately, there are awful circumstances in life, and sometimes we have to deal with them, and that might be the circumstance you have to deal with, and maybe you put the baby up for adoption, but you do have to allow it to have life. That one's tougher, which I think is, ugh, these are tough things. We we make these issues, whether it's abortion or immigration or the environment or anything, we make it into these black and white, red and blue issues, but they're not. They're nuanced and they are gray and periwinkle and mauve and taupe and there are all sorts of different dimensions. And when we break them down into these either or options, we lose the ability to have real discussions, right? That's probably why we fight with each other all the time is because we think there's a right or wrong, a yes or a no. Two plus two equals four. That one has a right or wrong. Whether or not a woman who's raped should be able to have an abortion, I think there can be, as President Trump famously said, good people on both sides of the issue. You can be a good person and think that that woman unfortunately has to go through with that pregnancy. And I think you could be a good person and say that's the one instance when a woman should have the right to have an abortion. There's so much nuance. And when we look at the nuance, it makes these topic so much more interesting to discuss and to think about because if it's just black or white we don't have to put in any effort we can just chant a slogan put it on a bumper sticker and move on with our day it doesn't challenge our brain challenging our brain is thinking about it from different perspectives and different sides of it and it's so much more interesting i don't know why we wouldn't want to do that i guess it's harder and we like to make life easy but life isn't about being easy and whoever said life was going to be easy Whoever told you life was going to be this way. Okay, we're now we're getting into friends. And I already did an episode with that title, so I'll back off on that. Anyway, I so appreciate you being here, as always, for this conversation, for this journey through abortion. Let me know your thoughts. You can follow me on Instagram at Podcast. Same on Facebook and Parlor at Podcast. And remember, while you're out there holding up your signs or chanting at people pro-life or pro-abortion, because that's what it is, it's not pro-choice, it's pro-abortion. Remember that when you get into a discussion with someone, to always be a little kinder than necessary. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. You can also find me on Locals at E Pluribus Unum Podcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude Opus 10, Number 1 in C Major, known as the Waterfall Etude.